you were with us last week or if you watched or heard the message, I gave a, a good thorough introduction to the book of Ruth, this next book in the Old Testament that we're going to be covering chapter by chapter and verse by verse. If you didn't hear it, it might be helpful to check that out. Um, it may, it may uh, help you with some of the things that we're going to be covering today as we cover, start covering the first chapter. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to finally get into our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. In his book, The Conduct of Life, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, the efforts which we make to escape from our destiny will only serve to lead us into it. Well, his words are as true today as they were when he wrote them back in 1860. See, because God gave us freedom of choice, we can't ignore the will of God, argue with it, disobey it, even fight against it. But in the end, the will of God will prevail. Psalm 33:11 says, "The counsel of the Lord stands forever." And in Proverbs 19:21, we're told, "You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail." In the book of Job, the patriarch asks this in Job chapter 9 verse 4, "Who has opposed him and come out unharmed?" Job knew the answer, and so do we. Nobody. The reality is, is that if we obey God's will, everything in life holds together. But if we disobey, everything does start to fall apart. Nowhere in the Bible is this truth better illustrated than in the experience of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Now, although the book of Ruth it was written in a way that it really must be read at uh, or her in one sitting. The story can also be looked at. You can also interpret that uh, book, that story, as a drama with four main acts. Each act is set in its own time and place, but together they contribute to one central theme the providential hand of God in the preservation of Israel's royal line during the dark days of Judges. Now, this chapter we're going to be covering today is essentially act one of this story. And uh, that's what we'll be looking at today. And it will provide some background information, including the time and place and the characters of this story. But it's also going to take us through a series of tragic events that will lead into a woeful declaration by Naomi. However, practically, this chapter will show us three mistakes that we must avoid in order to deal with the problems of life. So before we begin reading the first few verses here, 
in chapter 1, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so humbled and we are so amazed that you have brought us here, Lord, not by accident, but by your will. We know that all things, all situations, everything works out according to your will and purpose, and, and we know that you, all have a, that you have us all here for, to achieve that, Lord, whether it's here now or whether it's later on. We know that your plans will never get thwarted. Now as we open up this new book we're about to read and study and get into, Lord, I pray that you will use it to change lives, change directions of, uh, the direction of people's lives, Lord, that are going in a, that are maybe going in a bad direction, Lord. That they will hear your word and see that they need to come back to you, Lord. I pray that you will use this message to speak also powerfully, Lord. Lord, we need you. I want you to light a fire in our hearts so we, we may be more bold for you, even during times of tragedy, even during times of tr trials. We want to glorify you. We want to be your just obedient children. So again, fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Soften our hearts. May we just hear from you now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. And the word of God says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malone and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. This first scene in Ruth introduces us over uh, 10 years of, to over 10 years of background information in only just a few lines. Chronologically, the time is described as during the time of the Judges. According to Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, things weren't always easy during those days because according to that verse there, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him. 
it just was pretty much a lawless time and again people did as they pleased this verse also indicates that the events in this story occurred between the death of Joshua and the crowning of Saul as the nation's first king historically the events of this book are precipitated by a famine in the land which to uh, which appears to have primarily affected the entire land of Judah of Israel and we're not told what caused it what was the reason for this famine but typically when it comes to a famine in the Old Testament, it was evidence of God's discipline when the people, when his people, sinned against them, against him. You know, if you've covered or if you've read the book of Judges, there are repeated instances of Israel turning from God, the true and living God, to worship the idols of the heathen nations around them. Personally, the story involves a certain man from Bethlehem, who we later find out is, his name is Elimelech, his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And because of this famine, Elimelech decided to take his family to Moab, about 50 miles east on the other side of the Dead Sea. Now, again, it doesn't say here why he chose Moab, but a safe assumption would be that he probably had heard that there wasn't, that the famine, that the famine wasn't affecting that area. This is also what we often do when problems come our way. We assume that the grass is greener on the other side. That if we just leave this area here, if we just leave the place where God has us, where he called us to be, and just go to this other place, that things will be far better and that, again, the grass is greener on the other side. Now, let me explain just a little bit more what I mean. When trouble comes to our lives, we can do one of three things. Endure it, escape it, or enlist it. Now, the word enlist there, what I mean is you're either in in the military sense, you're either an enlisted person or you're an officer who takes command of those enlisted personnel. So the idea here is you can enlist it so that you can take command over it. So again, you can um, endure it, escape it, or enlist it. If we endure our trials, our trials become, I'm sorry, if we only endure our trials, then trials become our master. And we have a tendency to become hard and bitter. If we escape our trials, then we'll probably miss out on the purposes of God, on the purposes 
the purposes God wants us, wants to achieve in our lives. But if we learn to enlist our trials, they will become our servants instead of our masters and work for us. And God will work all things together for our good and his glory. Well, we soon find Elimelech's decision to leave, leave home was an unwise one. It was a bad decision, a wrong decision. See, had he stayed in Bethlehem, not Moab, God would have blessed him. And we'll see that later on in, at the, towards the end of this chapter. Now, let me offer you a few reasons why his decision to leave, to pack up and go to Moab was the wrong one. First of all, Elimelech walked by sight and not by faith. Abraham made the same mistake when he encountered a famine in the land of promise. Instead of waiting for God to tell him what to do next, he fled to Egypt. And we see in that story that he got himself into a lot of trouble. You see, no matter how difficult your circumstances may be, the safest and best place is in the will of God. During times of crisis, it's easy to say the words of David in Psalm 55:6, "If only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest." But it's wiser to claim the purposes, the promise of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, and wait on the Lord for wings like eagles, and by faith soar above the storms of life. My friends, you can't run from your problems. No matter how bad they are, you can't run from them. They'll eventually catch up to you and eventually get worse, possibly. So how do you walk by faith? How do you walk by faith? By claiming the promises of God and obeying the word of God in spite of what you see, how you feel, and what may happen. Let me repeat that. If you want to, how do you walk by faith? By claiming the promises of God and obeying the word of God in spite of what you see, how you feel, or what may happen. It means committing yourself, fully committing yourself to the Lord and fully relying on him to meet the need. When we live by faith, see, it glorifies God. Witnesses to a lost world. And it also builds Christian character into our lives. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, God ordained that the righteous one 
will live by faith. So if you consider yourself a righteous one, lives by faith, here's the thing. When, you, when we refuse to trust him, we're calling God a liar and dishonoring his name. Elimelech's wrong decision, wrong decision also showed that he majored on the physical and not the spiritual. Now, yes, as a husband, as a father, I certainly want to provide for my wife and my children. And I'm positive and I'm sure that Elimelech felt the same way. But here's the thing. We mustn't do it at the expense of losing the blessing of God. When Satan met Jesus in the wilderness, his first temptation was to suggest that Jesus satisfy his hunger rather than to please his father. See, one of the devil's pet lies is you do have to live. But it is in God that we live and move and have our entire being. He, my friends, God is able to take care of us. David's witness here in, in, in uh, Psalm 37:25 is worth considering. I have been young. And I am old, now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. As Paul faced a threatening future, he testified, but none of these things move me. Neither count, neither count I my life dear unto myself. And that's from the King James Version. In times of difficulty, if we die to self, if we just not worry or not, not, yeah, die to ourselves and put God first, we can be sure that he, he will either take us out of the trouble or he's going to bring us through. He's going to bring us through it. A final reason why Elimelech's decision to leave was unwise is that his actions honored the enemy and not the Lord. By going 50 miles to the neighboring land of Moab, Elimelech and his family abandoned God's land and God's people for the land and people of the enemy. A little History lesson, the Moabites were descendants of Lot from his incestuous union with his firstborn daughter. And they were the Jews' enemies because of the way they had treated Israel in their pilgrim journey from Egypt to Canaan. During the time of Judges, during this time here, Moab had invaded Israel and ruled over the people for 18 years. So why should Elimelech turn to them 
for help. Isaiah 16.6 says that these people, that they were a proud people whom God disdained. In verses 3 to 5, the second scene of this first act plays out and shows us the consequences of Elimelech's wrong decision. In case you're curious, the name Elimelech means my God is king. But clearly, but he clearly displayed that the Lord wasn't the king of his life when he left God completely out of his decisions. He made a decision out of God's will when he went to Moab. And this led to another bad decision when his two, son, when his two sons married women of Moab. Verse 10 says that Malon married Ruth and Chilion married Orpah. When God gave Moses the law, he forbade his people from marrying Gentile women, especially those from Ammon and Moab. Why is that? Because it was the Moabite women in Moses' day who had seduced the Jewish men into immorality and idolatry. And as a result, 24,000 people died. That story is found in Numbers 25. If you ever want to read about it. The sad irony of this part of the story is that even though Elimelech and his family had left Judah to escape death, the three men ended up dying anyways. Keep in mind also that the family had only planned to stay in the territory of Moab for a while, says there, for a while. But they ended up staying for 10 whole years. And after all that, the only thing left were three lonely widows and three Jewish graves in a heathen land. See, this was the sad consequence of unbelief. Again, friends, we can't run away from our problems. We can't avoid taking with us the basic cause of most of our problems, which is an unbelieving and a disobedient heart. The majority of us begin with the bigger problems outside and forget the one inside, wrote Oswald Chambers. A man has to learn the plague of his own heart before his own problems can be solved. Great quote. The idea here is there's a reason why people run from their problems. And those big problems are usually the result of one small problem deep within a person's heart. Now, I sometimes refer to it as the root issue. 
Now, the root issue can be pride. The root issue can be anger. The root issue can be, you know, just a bunch of things. People, you know, I've heard stories of, and, and yeah, stories of, of husbands and wives leaving their marriages or abandoning their marriages because of a simple fight such as, you know, you put the wrong detergent inside the washer. But that's not really the reason why that marriage ended. It's usually because of some deeper issue, some deeper problem in there. And I really believe that one of the main problems, one of the main issues of the heart, one of the root issues in all people is pride. Once that's recognized and seen and accepted, you can come to God and ask Him to heal you, to heal you from that pride, to forgive you. And guess what? He will. And He will begin healing you if you just keep humbling yourself. The closer you come to God, the more you seek Him, the more He will show you what's really deep in your heart. And if it is that pride, believe me, he's going to begin to humble you more and more. And he's going to break that pride. So again, that's what we see here is that um, that's what he took with him, unbelief. That's what Elimelech took with him, unbelief and a disobedient heart. Now in the next section that we're about to read, we find the next scene of this first act. And it describes the response of Naomi and her her daughters-in-law to the intensified crisis they now face. A present without men and a future without hope. So let's read the rest of this chapter now. Ruth chapter 1, pick it up in verse 6. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return to the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab the Lord had paid attention to his people, his people's needs by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road, traveling, leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you must go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of, his new, of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband, tonight 
even if, there, even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back from the the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This section here, it begins with Naomi's decision to move back to Judah with her two daughters-in-law accompanying her. Now, here, now, here I want to take some time for us to consider the three testimonies that are in this section first look at the testimony of Naomi. Notice how God visited his people in Bethlehem, but not his disobedient daughter in Moab. But when Naomi heard the report that the famine had ended, and when she had heard the good news, that's when she decided, okay, it's time to go back. Things are good. Things are better now. It's time that I leave this place and return home. You see, church, there's always more than enough bread when you're in the Father's will. Let me tell you, it's a sad thing when people miss out and hear about God's blessing rather than actually experiencing it because they're not at the right place where God can bless them. Whenever we've disobeyed the Lord and departed from his will, we must consider our sin and return to the place of blessing. Abraham had to leave Egypt and go back to the altar he had abandoned. And Jacob had to go back to Bethel 
Many times throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of the Lord, they plead to God's people. The plea to God's people was that they turn from their sins and return to the Lord. For example, the plea in Isaiah 55 verse 7 was this. Let the wicked one, wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. The issue here was that Naomi's decision was right. But her motive was wrong. What do I mean by that? Well, she was still interested primarily in food, not in fellowship with God. That was her motive. That was what her mind and her eyes were on, on, on the food, not on fellowship with God. You don't hear her confessing her sins to God and asking him to forgive her. She was returning to her land, but not to her Lord. But something else was wrong in the way that Naomi handled this decision. She didn't want her two daughters-in-law to go with her. If it was right, and it was good for Naomi to go to Bethlehem, where the true and living God was worshipped, then it was also right for Orpah and Ruth to accompany her. Naomi should have said to them what Moses said to his father-in-law in Numbers chapter 10, verse 29, Come with us, and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Instead, Naomi tried to influence the two women to go back to their families and their false gods. Why would a believing Jewess, a daughter of Abraham, encourage two pagan women to worship false gods? Now, I could be wrong here, but I get the impression that Naomi didn't want to take Orpah and Ruth to Bethlehem because they were living proof that she and her husband had permitted their two sons to marry women from outside their covenant nation. In other words, Naomi was trying to cover up for her disobedience. If she returned to Bethlehem alone, nobody would know that the family had broken the law of Moses. The tragedy was, or is, that Naomi didn't present the God of Israel in a positive way. In verse 13, she suggests that God was to blame for her sorrow and pain that the three women had experienced. There she said, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In other words, I'm to blame for all of our trials. So why stay with me? Who knows 
what the Lord may do next. But if she, if Noemi had been walking with the Lord, she could have won Orpah to the faith and brought two trophies of grace home to Bethlehem instead of just one. Now let's look at the testimony of Orpah. Verse verse 7 tells us that the two daughters-in-law started off with Naomi. They started on this journey back to Bethlehem together. But Naomi, the older woman, the the mother-in-law, she stopped them and urged them not to accompany her. She even prayed for them that the Lord will be kind to them and find them new husbands and give them rest after all their sorrow. But here's the thing. Of what value are the prayers of a backslidden believer? Apparently not much. Because three times Naomi and Orpah Naomi told Orpah and Ruth to return. When we saw them hesitating, Naomi then began to reason with them in verses 12 and 13, basically telling them, I'm too old, I'm too old to have another husband and bear another son. And even if I could have more sons, do you want to waste these next years waiting for them to grow up? You could be in your mother's house with your family, enjoying life. We then find out that Orpah was the weaker of the two sisters-in-law. As I said, she began making her way to Bethlehem with Naomi. He kissed, she, uh, she kissed her and wept with her. Yet, she couldn't stay with her. She was so close. She was so close to making it. But instead, she made the wrong decision and turned back. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But now we're left to wonder whether her heart was really in it. More than likely, it wasn't because her decision proved that her heart was back home where she hoped to start again, where she hoped to find her husband, a new husband. Well, Orpah left the scene and is never mentioned again in the scriptures. Finally, let's now examine the testimony of Ruth. So far, it looks like Naomi was trying to cover up, and Orpah had given up, but not Ruth. She was prepared to stand up. She refused to listen to her mother-in-law's pleas or follow her sister-in-law's bad example. Why is that? Because as we'll see later in chapter 2, verse 12, she had come to trust in God, in the God of Israel. 
She had experienced trials and disappointments. But instead of blaming God, she had trusted him and wasn't ashamed to confess her faith. Instead of the bad example of her disobedient in-law, of her disobedient in-law Ruth, had come to know, Ruth had come to know the true and living God. And she wanted to be with his people and dwell in his land. Ruth's conversion is evidence of the sovereign grace of God. For the only way sinners can be saved is by grace, everything within her and around her presented obstacles to her faith. And yet, she trusted the God of Israel. Her background was against her, for she was a Moab. For she was from Moab, where according to Numbers 21, 29, they worshipped the god Chemosh, a god who accepted human sacrifices and encouraged immorality. Her circumstances were against her and could have made her bitter against the God of Israel. See, first of all, her father-in-law had died. Then her husband and brother-in-law had, had died. And she was left as a widow, she was left a widow without any support. Just that alone, those things alone, she could have said, if this, if, if this was the way of, that Jehovah God treats his people, why follow him? What's the point? But Ruth dearly loved, she dearly loved her mother-in-law, but even Naomi was against her, for she urged Ruth to return to her family and her gods in Moab. Since Elimelech and Malon were now dead, Ruth was technically under the guardianship of Naomi. And she should have obeyed her mother-in-law's counsel. But God intervened and graciously saved Ruth in spite of all obstacles, in spite of all those things that were against her. It says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Friends, God delights in showing mercy and he often shows mercy to the least likely people in the least likely places. This is the sovereign grace of God who, as 1 Timothy 2.4 says, wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. As I read that again, friends, God delights in showing mercy, and he often shows mercy to the least likely people in the least likely places. I 
What comes to mind is uh, a YouTube video I saw a few days ago of something I, I didn't know. Now, again, we won't know until we're actually in heaven, in the kingdom of God, but I didn't know that Jeffrey Dahmer had confessed Christ, that confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I don't know if you know the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. There's been, recently there's been a lot of documentaries and there's a new Netflix series on, on him and all the atrocities that he committed. But I didn't know that while he was in prison, he was baptized and confessed Jesus Christ as, the Lord, as his Lord and Savior before he was murdered there in prison. So yes, do I believe that God can save the worst of people in the worst of places? Can he show his mercy to the least likely people, to those people you think that don't, that you may think that don't deserve it? Yes, he can. Absolutely. You think about it. You didn't deserve mercy either. None of you, none of us deserve mercy. When I think back about all the horrible things I did, all the sins that I've committed, I didn't deserve mercy. I deserved punishment. You may consider yourself a good person. Remember, no one is good but God. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, you may not have, you may believe you're, you're not as sinful as other people who have more sins, who have done more things, but in God's eyes, sin is sin. Like filthy rags. He can't stand the sight of it, and he won't allow it in his presence. But once you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you become white as snow. His righteousness is placed on you, and now you become righteous. And now the Lord can have fellowship with you. God, you and God can have that fellowship that was broken such a long time and that was marred by sin. Keep that in mind. As you watch television of maybe these people that anger you, that you just want to go out there and choke them and try to, you know, put some sense into them. God loves them too. And he died for them. And he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy to and whomever he wants and, you know, You never know. 
that person that you think never, that doesn't deserve it, you may end up seeing them one day in the kingdom of God. Go back to my message here. Now, what Ruth said in verses 16 and 17 is one of the most magnificent confessions found anywhere in Scripture. Full entire sermons have been dedicated to just, excuse me, just these verses. First, she confessed her love for Naomi and her desire to stay with her mother-in-law even unto death. Then she confessed her faith in the true living God and her decision to worship him alone. Later, we find out that she was willing to forsake father and mother in order to cleave to Naomi and the God of her people. Verse 18 goes on to say that Ruth was absolutely determined to go with Naomi and to live in Bethlehem with God's covenant people. There was a problem. There was a problem uh, with a a divine law that said, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the congregation of the Lord forever. This meant permanent exclusion. She can go, she couldn't be among them. She can live there in Judah, but she couldn't be among the people. Again, this meant permanent exclusion. How then could Ruth enter the congregation of the Lord? By trusting God's grace and throwing herself completely, completely on his mercy. Guess what? This applies to us Gentiles as well. To us Gentile Christians as well. See, the law also excludes us from God's family. But grace, but grace, my friends, includes us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, you find the names of five women, four of whom have very questionable credentials. Tamar committed incest with her father-in-law. Rahab was a gentle harlot, Gentile harlot. Ruth was an outcast Gentile Moabitess. And the wife of Uriah was an adulteress. The fifth, of course, was Mary. And her story is there told in in the Gospels. but, But these four women with questionable credentials, how did they ever become part of the family of the Messiah? Again, let me repeat this. Through the sovereign grace and mercy of God, and that alone. No reason other than that. 
2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So yes, His sovereign grace and mercy. So in verses 19 through 21 are the climax. That's the climax of the first act of Ruth, which is devoted to stating the problem that drives this story. Naomi's emptiness. The two women made the arduous, hard journey back to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, the whole town was excited to see them, to see Naomi, Naomi once again. But think about that question they asked. Can this be Naomi? That question there may suggest that they noticed a significant change. Something was different about Naomi, and it wasn't good. Her 10 years in Moab had taken their toll, and instead of making her better, the trials of life had made her bitter, which is the meaning of the word Mara which is why she wanted to be called Mara. We can't control our circumstances of life, but we can control how to respond to them. That's what faith is all about. Daring to believe God is working everything for our good, even if we don't like it, or even if we don't see it happening. In everything, give thanks, says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. That saying there isn't always easy to obey. But obeying this command is the best antidote against our bitter and critical heart. Consider yourself a person that has a bitter heart, a critical heart, Again, you look around the world and you look around the things happening in this country, you're nothing but critical and angry and bitter. Remember those words from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. The Scottish preacher George H. Morrison said, nine-tenths of our unhappiness is selfishness. And is, an insult, and is an insult to the cast in the face of God. <coughs> because Naomi was imprisoned by selfishness, she was bitter against God. To begin with, she accused the Lord of dealing very bitterly with her in verse 20. She had left Bethlehem with a husband and two sons and had come home without them. She had gone to Moab possessing the necessities of life, but now she had returned home having absolutely nothing. She was a woman with empty hands, an empty home, and an empty heart. Because she didn't surrender to the Lord and accept his loving chastening, she didn't experience 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not only had the Lord dealt bitterly with her, but she had, <coughs> she had also testified, he had also testified against her in these afflictions. Now is this Now is this Naomi's confession of sin? Her admission that she and her family had sinned in going to Moab? Is she hinting that they deserved all that they had suffered? Twice, Naomi called God the Almighty, which in Hebrew is El Shaddai, the All-Powerful One. See, it's one thing to know God's name and quite something else to trust that name and allow God to work in the difficult situations of life. And those who know your name, and it says this in Psalm 910, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. But, again, was Naomi really that poor and empty? Or was she simply exaggerating her situation because she was a weary, just tired in her body and in her soul? Just think of the resources she had that should have encouraged her. For one thing, she had life. And this in itself is a precious gift from God, a gift we too often take for granted. Naomi left three graves back in Moab, Moab, but God in his goodness had kept her alive and brought her back to Bethlehem. Fear not that your life shall come to an end said John Henry Newman, but rather that it shall never have a beginning. Naomi thought that her life had ended for her, but her trials were really a new beginning. Naomi's faith and hope were about to die, but God had other plans for her. Naomi not only had life, but she also had opportunity. She was surrounded by friends, all, all who wanted the very best for her. At first, her sorrow and bitterness isolated her from the community, but gradually that changed. Instead of looking gloomily at a wall, she finally decided to look out the window. And when she got up, she opened the door. See, my friends, see, church, when the night is darkest, if we look up, we can still see the stars. One of Naomi's richest resources was her daughter-in-law, Ruth. In fact, it's Ruth whom God used and blessed throughout the rest of this book. For Ruth was a woman who trusted God and was totally committed to him. Naomi soon learned that God's hand of blessing was on this young woman and that he would accomplish great things through her, through her obedience. 
But most of all, Naomi still had Jehovah, the God of Israel. The Lord is mentioned about 25 times in this short book. But he is the chief actor in this drama, whether Naomi realized it or not. I firmly believe in divine providence, said Woodrow, President Woodrow Wilson. Without it, I think I should go crazy. Without God, the world would be a maze without a clue. When we hear, sorry, when we fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. On his deathbed, John, Wells, John Wesley said, best of all, God is with us. Christian brother and sister, God is not only with us, but he's also for us. And if God is for us, who, who is against us? The final verse of this chapter here provides a transition toward hope for Naomi as well as Ruth. The truth is God wasn't really her antagonist but would, through his sovereign, superintending providence, act in favor, act with favor towards both widows. The story began with Naomi having left Bethlehem because of, food, because of a food famine. Here, though, she returns back to Bethlehem with a famine in her soul. To many others, to others in this story, the barley harvest, harvest in Bethlehem would have been a welcome sight. But after all she had gone through, Naomi wasn't really able to appreciate its significance. Whoa. She wasn't able to appreciate significance. See, the barley harvest was a time when the community came together and expressed joy and praise for God's goodness. It was spring, a time of new life, new beginning, and new hope. Naomi thought as she was returning empty-handed, but she had Ruth, the Moabitess, with her. Little did she know that the harvest was ripe. Naomi was about to make a new beginning. For with God, it's never too late to start over again. And the same is true for you. But you must be willing to trust God for your new beginning. After all, with God on your side, your resources are far greater than your burdens. All the good that happens from here on further in the, in the future chapters of this book begins here with Naomi's godly repentance and honesty. 
It will make a difference not only in her life, but in the life of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, in the destiny of the nation of Israel, and in your eternal salvation. Yes, it's possible possible for God to accomplish amazing things both now and, and eternity. If you'll turn towards him, towards him today, not only in your feelings, but also in your actions. Maybe you're watching this message here today and you've come to that same place. Naomi was completely empty-handed, broken. You've lost everything. Now you just can't see the joy of life. Let me tell you, come to Christ. Come to the cross of Jesus, and he will renew your hope. He will fill you up with God's spirit. He will make his home in you. And you will have a joy that, a newfound joy that it just can't be expressed in words because it's a divine, heavenly joy. Now, I'm not saying that life will be great and happy from, you know, here on forward if you decide to, if you make that choice to follow Jesus, but... You will have that hope if you just keep your eyes on him, no matter what the no matter what circumstances may come your way. And you won't feel that emptiness, that loneliness. God has provided a way to forgive you of your sins. So if you're ready to do that, you're ready to come through the cross and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and be filled with His love, His mercy, His grace. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray this with all sincerity. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, Amen. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope we were blessed by Pastor Angel's message. For more information about Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, such as our service time or how to get connected, please visit our website at fvccelp.com. If the Lord is leading you to give to the ministry of Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, there's a PayPal link in the video description below. 
Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope to see you again soon.